Welcome to Raising the Bar, the one and only podcast that centers the lives and experiences of women of color while discussing legal issues and policies. We aim to inform, educate, and provide concrete tools to empower, expand, and raise the bar for our communities and ourselves. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Raising the Bar, y'all. This is episode five. We have five episodes in. I am excited that, you know, I'm still doing this. Um, Yeah, this is definitely a commitment, but it is truly a labor of love. Um, Y'all, this episode, when I tell you I decided the last minute to change the topic because this case out of Dallas with this, you know, this officer murdering, you know, um, this you know, young black dude while he was in his house, minding his business in the sanctuary of his home and the officer shot him. I, I had to change it. And, um, as you'll see, great, um, great dude, Martinez Jackson, he has a great book, um, you know, just talking about being a black prosecutor in DC. And so we, um, we're going to have a great conversation, but, um, up first, definitely want to do the affirmation. And I just want to say the reason why I do affirmations, one, I'm big on affirmations. I read affirmations every single day. But the reason why I think is because the narrative that we get, women of color, especially black women, um, you know, with this whole Serena Williams thing, I'm not sure if you all are aware, but um, Serena Williams was playing in you know, I matched the U.S. Open and she got into it with the, um, the referee. He basically said that she was cheating. I think her, her, um, coach gave her the thumbs up and I don't think you can cheat in tennis. I apologize. I'm not a tennis watcher, but long story short, she went back and forth with him and, um, the reaction that she got was ridiculous. And what made it even more ridiculous was one, they find her. And from what I understand, there are many male, um, tennis players who do way more than she does as far as, you know, going back and having exchanges with the referees and they're never fined and they're not treated the way that she was treated. And, you know, I saw a a cartoon in which they, the character was the character. I don't even think that's the right word, but y'all work with me here. Um, the way they portrayed this black woman, it was probably the most racist. They portrayed her in the most racist and sexist way. And meanwhile, the other young woman, another black woman that she played against young, pretty woman. Um, I think she has dual citizenship for Japan and Haiti. I think her mom's from Japan. Her father's from Haiti. They portrayed her as a white woman, which I don't, I don't really know if that was supposed to be her, but anyway, say that all to say all of these things that we consume every day that tell out, tell us that somehow we just by being who we are, that's not enough. That's the reason why I have to sit in my house and tell myself that I'm the shit. I have to. Um, so, so this at today's affirmation, um, is from Blavity, um, Blavity, Blavity. Y'all, I'm just off today. I just, the universe is messing with all of us, apparently. 
But um, it's 10 self-affirmations you should tell yourself every day. And the first one is I am living in my truth. I am, I'm being authentic is the bravest thing you can do for yourself. Serena telling that referee or umpire or whatever he's called that one, bruh, I ain't got to cheat. I'm the baddest, the best at this. I don't have to cheat. I don't cheat to win. Right. She was off. She lived in her truth in that moment. And she she demanded an apology. I'm like when I tell you I got goosebumps because he needed he needed that exchange to know. Now, first of all, what you're not about to do, you're not about to intimidate me. You're not about to treat me like I am not, you know, frankly, the greatest athlete, but I'm a professional. I don't cheat as many times as y'all drug text me. Okay, I'm going to finish with the affirmation. Being authentic is the bravest thing you can do for yourself. Vindicate yourself from falling at the mercy of others and their opinions. Shamelessly take ownership for the good and bad that comes with being all that you are. I'm going to let that sit for a minute. So if you don't do anything... Especially moving forward, if you are a woman of color, live in your truth and do it unapologetically. Be authentic. And authenticity, honestly, is probably the most freeing thing that we can do. It's the way that we free ourselves from what? From the, the, the labels and the opinions that other people place on us. That's not our truth. So, you know, um, I am going to figure out another way, um, to make sure that we continue to uplift ourselves. Um, yeah, it's just needed because we're, we're just getting a lot. We're just getting a hell of a lot. that tells us that we are not enough and nah, we are y'all. We really are. Yeah. So up next. Uh, conversation, great conversation with Martinez Jackson. Uh, Stay tuned. So welcome back, everyone. Um, I'm excited to introduce our next guest. Um, He wrote a wonderful book that we can't, can't wait to tell you about. And also, you know, so honestly, I was supposed to do, I was all set to do an episode on environmental racism and environmental justice, which I'm going to push that back. But this case, this shooting case out of Dallas with this officer um, shooting and killing Mr. Botham John, I really, 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 I don't know, it was just on my heart to talk about it. And it was on my heart to kind of talk about how police officers are treated differently by this criminal justice system. And especially, you know, just the role of police unions and how police unions are designed to kind of set up. They're this designed to um, even defend the indefens- indefensible. And so without further ado, um, I want to welcome Martinez Jackson to the show. Um, welcome. Hey, well, thanks for having me. No problem. No problem. So you wrote a great book, and I'm just going to read a summary uh, for the folks so they can understand, you know, just, they can get an idea of the book. So the book is called Injustice My Way, and in the book you chronicle your life, your life-changing experience serving as a black prosecutor in Washington, D.C. 
You offer readers an opportunity to experience the criminal justice system from the perspective of an African-American man behind the scenes working to create change. The memoir explores the primary obstacles that every prosecution prosecutor must face when seeking to administer justice fairly and how your life story shaped your approach to overcoming those barriers. Um, you are a graduate of Howard University School of Law and you're currently practicing attorney in D.C. Um, you served as a prosecutor in D.C. Um, and you spent time in domestic violence, guns and drugs and major felony crimes unit. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, thanks for having me. So tell us about your book. Why did you decide to write it? Well, you know, I wrote and, and I published a book about a year and a half after I left the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, I left yet last year, um, not too long after the change in administration. Um, and, you know, throughout my time there, I came face to face, you know, with all the statistics that we hear about in the criminal justice system. Um, and the one that struck me the most was not just that the majority of people in the criminal justice system were African-American. I mean, that was obvious just going to court every day. But it was the fact that there weren't a lot of African-American prosecutors or minority prosecutors in general. Um, and, and I think that the goal for my book was to explain the importance of having minorities represented in the profession. And so that was really the, the primary uh, inspiration for the book. So you talk about creating change in the criminal justice system. And I, I, I have been a very vocal, I think, critic of the entire system, um, yeah. prosecution and defense alike. Um, and so what does that change look like? And can that change be accomplished from being a prosecutor? Let me tell you, like, I grew up as, as a critic myself as well. I mean, frankly... Now, I always envisioned myself as being a defense attorney um, at the point that I knew that I really wanted to be uh, an attorney. You know, I, I grew up in neighborhoods where we were very suspicious and skeptical of law enforcement and just the criminal justice system in general, uh, given the history um, and how African-Americans have been treated within that system. Um, but, but for me, I think part of the problem with the criminal justice system is that it's overly adversarial. Um, it's and it's too punitive in nature, and I think the promotional structure in, in district attorney's office offices and U.S. attorney's offices in the country need to change. As long as they're measuring success by you know trial numbers, convictions, and guilty pleas, um, it's not going to be about rehabilitation. It's not going to be about restoration, um, and re recidivism rates are going to be high, um, and the United States is going to have the highest prison population in the world. And I think to change that, you need more minorities um, serving in this role, you know, because they're going to have the empathy. They're going to understand um, how to administer justice fairly. Um, and, and they're just we're just underrepresented um, as prosecutors in this country um, and unfortunately disproportionately incarcerated. So for me, change would mean seeing more minority faces in the criminal justice system, um, not behind bars, but actually administering justice fairly. So I think, and I, you hear that a lot as far as, I think that that's the whole, you know, um, push behind voting, right? Because me as a black woman or as a black person, I want to vote for people who understand my experiences. And so therefore they'll vote like me and things will change. But I, 
I, sometimes I really, really, really struggle with that only because we've seen the same issues in a lot of these urban areas that are led by black people. If you look at Baltimore, you know, black mayor, um, and you, DC has a black mayor. Um, you know, you look, you look at black leadership and it's all, it's, it's all throughout many of these urban areas and we're still seeing the same issues. So is it truly, is it the system or is it that we, or is it the people in the system? So I, th- I think it's a combination. And I think, um, I think politics, uh, involve a little bit more moving parts. Whereas as a prosecutor, if you put a minority prosecutor in these roles, they're going to be able to make direct change. And you'll see some of, some of those opportunities that I had in my book where, you know, you have a lot of discretion as a prosecutor to make direct impact on people's lives. And not a lot of people are going to know about it. You know, you're not going to get any articles in the newspaper or anything like that, but you are having a significant impact directly on people's lives. And I think in politics, there are, there's a lot of compromise that goes into it. Um, there are a lot of other factors involved. And, and the same could be true for prosecution, but I think there are more opportunities as a, as a minority prosecutor to just help people out directly. Mm-hmm. So I know I know you've definitely heard of the Botham John case. Mr. John um, was killed by a Dallas officer. And, you know, this is still very early in the case. You know, it's Monday night. Um, and so whatever facts that I may give, Come Friday, they may be completely different. But just to, if you haven't heard of this case, you are under a rock somewhere. But um, Botham John was killed. He was at home in his house. Uh, From what I understand, a Dallas police officer was getting off of work from a 12-hour shift. She thought that she was going into her home, but she was actually going into Mr. John's home and shot and killed him. Um, yeah. I just recently, I, I, I was looking right before, you know, um, I called Martinez for the interview and I did see a Huffington post article that said, you know, she claims that he ignored her verbal commands. If I was in my house, minding my business, I think I would too. Cause I probably be like, you ain't talking to me, but whatever. Um, right. and so I think that that's, that's, they're starting that narrative of why, or she's justifying herself um, her justification for shooting him. But I want to say, you know, as a former prosecutor, what's the first thing that came to your mind when you heard about, when, well, just in general, when you hear about police shooting involving a person of color? Yeah, and, and I, I, was, I have heard about the, um, the Boston Jean case. And, like, it, it's just so ridiculous. And, unfortunately, after a while, when you, you've heard so many of these stories, you, you start to become numb. But it, this one was just like, I mean, what can you do? You know, you're in your own apartment. Somebody basically breaks into your apartment and then shoots you. And then, you know, you look at these articles and you look at the excuses about police giving directives. Um, The majority of people have never had a gun pointed at them. Um, And then I imagine that this officer didn't have, I'm not sure about the facts. Maybe she did have her uniform on, maybe she didn't. But it's dark. Allegedly it was dark. It's his apartment. I mean, like you said, I mean, how indignant would you be, somebody breaking into your apartment, putting a gun to you, and then telling you to, to put your hands up? Exactly. I mean, but um, unfortunately, it's just, to me, it's just another reminder of the disproportionate way the criminal justice system plays out for minorities. Um, and it's been that way in this country for a long time. Um, and, you know, 
it's an unfortunate thing. I think the only thing we can do is just keep raising awareness. Um, and, and hopefully somewhere down the line, these numbers will decline. So you said raising, raising awareness of what, what should we just of more attorneys, especially more black attorneys being prosecutors or because, you know, I would say if you think of the movement for black lives, I think they want to just do, you know, do away with the entire system. Right. Um, and so is the end goal to, so we can have more black people prosecution and defense just in the system period as change agents, or is the goal to get rid of it and just figure something else out? That's interesting. I think I think that the system definitely needs a fundamental change. It's punitive in nature. Um, it's not about rehabilitation. Um, but as far as, as as police shootings go, I think awareness is important. I think number one because it ends up changing the laws. If you look at uh, California, they're trying to heighten the burden. Uh, for police officers to police officers to actually um, shoot people uh, in the line of duty. Um, if you look at Delaware, if you look at Tennessee, they already have uh, heightened laws in place. So the more that we bring uh, attention to this issue, I think the more that it raises the eyebrows of lawmakers and, and makes them want to, you know, affect or implement some type of change. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you. I think the system does meet does need to be. Um, you know, uh, changed. I think um, there are some fundamental changes that need to be made, uh, but those changes aren't going to happen overnight. So we have to do uh, something in the meanwhile until that happens. And I think that that means having more minorities represented in the system so it can be more fair and raising more awareness so change can happen. Gotcha. Um, Would you say it was more difficult to charge and prosecute police officers? I know that, you know, I know that in, especially in this current case, um, there was a lot of uh, outrage because I think they waited about 72 hours to charge her. And then on top of that, you know, they charged her with manslaughter and not murder. Um, right. and so I would say one, is it difficult to charge, prosecute, charge and prosecute police officers? And just, uh, can you speak about the difference in say a police officer and say a private citizen? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, so the law, basically allows, for the most part, um, the Constitution has set a baseline that officers can use deadly force when they fear for their life. And obviously the states can, they can provide uh, more protection to citizens than some have, as I mentioned, Delaware and Tennessee has, and uh, California is trying to do it as well. Um, But these cases are not easy to win. You know, a lot of times it's only the officer, just like in the case that we just talking about it's only the officer and another person so it's the officer's word mm-hmm. against i mean nobody's because the person is deceased and uh, you know these juries they tend to favor the testimony of law enforcement so prosecutors are well aware of that you know so it, it's not hard to charge and it's not hard to get an indictment i think that's easy to do but the real question that prosecutors ask are they going to win you know and unfortunately um, winning is important in most DA offices around the country. And, you know, they're looking at it from a practical standpoint. And we've seen cases like the Philando Castile case where, you know, a jury acquits on, on these, you know, this very issue, even with video surveillance available. Mm, so is there a difference in the way that an officer is treated with, you know, especially, and I, and I, I asked this question because I saw, you know, I was in Baltimore, 
around the up, uprising and after, and I saw just the, the six officers, you know, they literally were booked and released from jail with under an hour. Or, yeah. you know, more, two hours. A process that generally will take days, sometimes weeks, for private citizens. These officers were, were I'm talking about booked, um, photo taken, bail posted in under an hour. And I, yeah. I mean... I, I wasn't even amazed or shocked at that point, but you know, in, in your, when you were a prosecutor, did you notice the difference that once an officer was involved in some type of crime? Cause that's what it is. Um, yeah. and they, they never want to say crime. You notice that, but involved in a crime, um, whether right. or not they were treated differently than a private citizen. So uh, me personally, I, I haven't experienced it. I, I never worked on any police shooting cases myself. Um, but I do know, that, you know, as a practical matter, prosecutors and police officers build relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get close to them. You know, they help you with their, with your cases. They're necessary for you to do your job. Um, so you learn about them. You, you learn about their families. You, you become close friends. And, you know, the police and the prosecutors, they're a team. And so that makes a difference in how prosecutors treat the police. Um uh, even if on a small level, just giving them a heads up that an arrest or a warrant is coming. You know what I mean? Um, things like that. So, yes, it does play a role. I don't think it's decisive. I mean, we've seen cases where police officers have been indicted and convicted, so it obviously happens. But to say that there is no, um, I won't say favoritism, but there's no impact, that, that that relationship has no impact on the way prosecutors treat the police, I think that would be um, a little a little gullible and naive to think that. Um, well, yeah, thank you so much. I mean, and is there anything else that you would like to, um, any lasting words that you would like to say? You know, just on this case, you could tell us more about the book or just just anything that you want to share with the audience. Oh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you get the opportunity, please go out and, and, and purchase Justice My Way. It's on Amazon now. Um, I think it's 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 a good take on the criminal justice system from a different perspective. And like I said earlier, I think it's important to have podcasts like this, you know, people like yourself and others who are out here raising awareness about these issues, uh, getting people to get out and and think about it and vote. Um, And I think that's the best way uh, right now until the system is changed fundamentally um, to, you know, to affect change. What do you think about, you know, changing the sense the, the system fundamentally? And one of my major, you know, beliefs is that, you know, this system is just like anything else in this country. It is impacted by institutional racism, right? What we see, it's not just, you know, where one person is um, being racist against another. It's not that, right? It is systems, right? The way that systems interact together to oppress people we see it in criminal justice system we see it in housing we see it in environmental and so what will it take um to truly change this system in hell this entire country (laughs) i i think number one raising awareness um i talk about it in my book um when i grew up you know my focus was sports you know basketball that's all i really knew uh, until I went to college, and I got, I got with a collective group of individuals, black folks, who were talking about other stuff, 
not just rap, not just basketball. Nothing wrong with those things. Still enjoy them, love them. But it was good to hear people have intellectual conversations uh, about the black community. And that kind of woke me up and made me think about how everything I do either plays into the system or is serving as an opportunity to break the system down. And so I think once you wake people up, number one, you inform them, then they can start to play their role in tearing down the system, whatever role that is. And for me, it was working as a prosecutor. And you'll see in some of the cases that I talk about in the book, I do the best that I can to you know, re- reduce recidivism, to make sure people didn't go to jail when I had the opportunity not to send them to jail. Um, and even though that's small change, you know, all of those little small changes build up and, and they create change, you know, within the system itself. So that's, that's the best way that I know. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's the approach that I'm taking. Gotcha. So I'm going to, I'm going to disagree just a little. And the only reason why, and I, I get it. I think what you're saying is we have the power to change, right? That right. we, we can only do what's in our control. And I agree with that, but I will also say as oppressed people, right, irrespective of your class, right, I still think that black people, we see what Serena Williams is going through, right? We see all of these issues where it it doesn't matter with class, but as an oppressed people, I would say the onus is not on us to change, right? That it's truly on, and, 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 and keep, yes, keep in mind, I think, you know, we will, you will definitely have to see a breakthrough. They're not going to change unless they have to change. Um, But I would say that it's not on us changing. I think that that's where I think we, we always have that conversation. So if we do all of this, then I don't know if we're just going to win their hearts over. You know what I mean? Like, no, We, we either need to take it by force and I, don't think I'm talking about bombing anything. Don't get that impression, right? But hey, we even need to talk about that too, though. Yeah. I'm not advocating for violence. Yeah, yeah. I hear, I hear what you're <laughs> but don't. It's either we need to make them uncomfortable until they change. You know what I mean? Or we need to change the culture. And I, I think I said it last. It was a, it's, it's a quote where culture is the dress rehearsal for political change. And you've mm-hmm. seen just so yeah. I just I just don't want to leave with. You know, if black people dot the I's and cross the T's, then we will eventually, that's the way that we're going to get liberation. And that's the way that we will, um, that's the way we'll combat, you know, institutional racism. Do you know what I mean? No, I, de- I definitely understand what you're saying. I mean, I can, I can modify what I said uh, to a certain extent because that's, that's not exactly what I meant. You My know, bad. I, I was reading uh, Tanahasi Coates book um we were eight years in power and one of the concepts that he created in the book was um black atheism you know not in the sense of religion but in the sense that he didn't believe in the good in all people or the good in all white people Mm -hmm. um and he does he thinks that it's it's a fallacy to believe that you know all white people are willing to hear us out or willing to change they're just like any other group they're not going to change or give over their power unless they have a reason to Mm-hmm. Right. So I agree with you and I definitely understand that. Um, you know, the question is, you know, it's not the 60s. 
it's not the 50s and 60s anymore when we were all unified behind civil rights, right? Mm-hmm. And so the question is, how do you galvanize so many African Americans across the United States um, under one vision? You know, and I think that's the thing that's tough. Um, so, I mean, my suggestion is just educate people as much as you can. Do what you can to change the system mm-hmm. um, until that opportunity presents itself where everybody can come together and really uh, impact the system itself. Gotcha. Where can people find you? Are you on social media? Are you the book? Like, what's up? Yeah, like I said, um, you, can, you can find the book on Amazon. It's Justice My Way, Memoirs of a Black Prosecutor. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at Justice My Way. All right. Well, I will definitely, um, I'll put that in the show notes. I'll put a link to the book and, um, your Instagram justice my way. And I'll definitely tag you when I, when I post this. Uh, but thank you so much, Martinez. Like you, y'all don't understand. I'm talking about last minute. I hit him up. Like, can you please, um, interview with me? And I, I just appreciate you coming out and I wish you nothing but blessings, success, abundance, all of that, which we know with this book, and I know whatever, this book is going to take you places and you're going to write many, many more. And I just ask that you come back to the show. That's it. Uh, most definitely. I can't wait for it. And I appreciate the invite, Mom. All right. No problem. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. So before we go, um, for the Raising the Bar segment, I'm just at this point, I'm not sure. Um, and, and when I say that, you know, I'm referring to the case, the Botham John case. Like, this man was sitting in his home. And I'm, I'm almost positive. This, this, the case seems so weird to me that I think that we're going to hear another story in the coming weeks. But I will say, you know, to raise the bar just in the aspects of... Um, making sure that police officers are held to the same standards as we are. Um, I think that that comes with peeling back the onion. And, and, and earlier in the episode, I talked about the role of police unions. And I know we didn't really talk about it in this episode. But police unions are very, are very strong, for, is a very strong force and play a huge part in the secrecy um, when it comes to when officers are involved in shootings and crimes for that matter. And I'm talking about when officers commit crimes, just the, the amount of secrecy and the, we, we really don't have a lot of, um, we really don't know how that process goes. You know, this woman, it took her 72 hours to be indicted for charges to be brought against her. And frankly, they're not the right charges. Manslaughter. I, I can't, no, 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 no. I so it it may change. Like I said, this is still very early in this, but um, eventually we will revisit this conversation and just the role of police unions when officers commit criminal acts and not just shooting us, you know, because they do a lot of other things short of that, um, and they're treated very differently. Um, So, yeah, thank you so much for joining us today or this evening or on this episode. Um, You can reach us. You can connect with us on www.rtbpodcast.com. 
I'm on Instagram at one RTB podcast, Facebook, one RTB podcast. Please, please, please subscribe, rate, and share. If you don't do nothing else, subscribe, rate, and share. Um, I have t-shirts. People have been buying the t-shirts too, y'all. I have t-shirts on the website. So please, if you want a black t-shirt that says, you know, has a logo on it, I think I'm coming, I'm coming up with another t-shirt very soon that I, I, I'm, I'm creating it in my head. So as soon as I get it out of my head, um, I'll definitely put that on the website, but thank you so much for all of the love and support that I've received just doing this. It's just been phenomenal and I really, really appreciate it. So until next time, stay blessed.